Wow, amazing. Thank you, choir, for an amazing gift of worship and for all that has gone into our service so far today. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you for this family service. Uh, Welcome to Faith Covenant Church, where we believe that we can worship God and have fun doing it. Amen? Amen. I've just prepared a few remarks for today. Um, It is good to hang out together and with the kids with us uh, in the service and during the sermon time. We just want you to feel comfortable that we're okay with a little motion and movement and noise. If you would feel more comfortable, we do have two family spaces down the hallway. This way we have our rockabye room and across the lobby that way is uh, our family uh, room, Snelling Hall, where we have the service being live streamed so you can feel free to make your way into those spaces as well. Um, I apologize for our Christmas display. We usually have our uh, simple Christmas logo on our simple Christmas stage, but our projector is, our center projector is not working today, so we get a simple uh, black wall today. (laughs) As you can see already today, uh, much of what we do as Christian community comes from the generosity and the gifts of, of God's people. And so we thank you for all the ways that you have given uh, of your time, your talent, and treasure. If you've prepared a gift in worship today, we do have offering boxes uh, that you can drop that into. Many people today are giving online, but we just want to acknowledge that your generosity and the way that you give back out of the gifts that God has blessed you with is a part of, of what we can do. Uh, to learn the generosity that God has displayed to us through his son at Christmas and to be a part of the lifestyle that he is calling us to live, that in our crazy, hectic, busy, time-starved world uh, really invites us to consider again, what does it look like to maybe live lives of greater simplicity in the season ahead? So in that spirit, I want to invite you to pray with me as we spend time looking into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that out of your great riches in heaven, you have blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ with more than ever we could ever ask for or imagine. And we ask today, God, that you would guide our hearts towards the focus of Christmas in this season and the simplicity of that little baby in a manger that nonetheless was God come in the flesh to bring your light and your love and your forgiveness and your grace to each one of us who live in this lost and this hurting world. Speak to us through your word today and send us out knowing that we have met with the living God and through the power of your spirit we can go out as Jesus' disciples to be light in the darkness and to bring good news to those in need. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Advent is the season that marks our Uh, journey towards Christmas. That journey is uh, short and coming to a close soon. Uh, It is the anticipation of the arrival of God's promised Messiah coming into the world, and as followers of Jesus, the anticipation of God's coming again today and God's ongoing blessing for each one of us, as we can see in our family uh, luxury box and Cindy's wonderful service. It's not quite washing feet, but it's close. 
We anticipate that that same Jesus who came all those years ago, who gave his life, died and rose again, and has promised to come again. And so we live with the hope of that glory of God's light uh, shining into this world that someday uh, we can bank our lives on the fact that God has overcome the darkness, he has found the answer for evil, and he offers his healing and his grace to each one of us that would turn our hearts toward him. Our theme this year is a simple Christmas, and we've been focusing our time in the improbable Christmas character of John the Baptist. He was a part of the Christmas story as the cousin of Jesus who was called by God to prepare God's people for the arrival of Jesus on the scene. In Matthew 3, verse 2, we see that John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus by claiming that the kingdom of God has arrived in this world. Matthew 3 verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. And we talked about how when a greater king steps into the room, all lesser kingdoms are called into question. And so for us, simplicity really begins with humility. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was focused on teaching and preaching about the kingdom that he was bringing and that he was establishing in this world. But this kingdom, he said, was diametrically opposed to the values and the ways of this world and the other kingdoms that exist. So he often contrasted earthly rulers and earthly kingdoms with with God and with his kingdom, and he emphasized that this kingdom that he was bringing was different. It plays by a different set of rules, and he showed how God, as revealed in the Bible, stood in stark contrast to all the other gods to whom we might give our allegiance, and he began to talk about the kinds of things that actually compete with God in the human heart. John the Baptist is a messenger sent by God to help people be able to recognize God when he arrives. And in Luke 3, 7 through 14, that we've been working through in this season, the advice that he gives to people who have come out to hear him is this. In verse 8, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he goes on to say, to the plentiful simplicity. To the tax collectors or those who deal with money, generosity. And to the soldiers, contentment. In week two, we learned how simplicity is essential in order for people who are plentiful like we are to find the life that is truly life and to be able to see God when he arrives in their midst. And then last week, Pastor Dean did an amazing job talking us through the, how the tax collectors, John advised generosity as the answer to their greed. And, and for people who deal every day with money, uh, being able to pursue greater generosity is, is part of the key to being able to find the life that is truly life and to be able to recognize the presence of God when he shows up. And how, whether we realize it or not, our spiritual lives are directly connected to how we manage our money and our possessions. And then in verse 14, it says, Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. 
So this final piece of advice that John the Baptist gives to these soldiers who were present so that they too might be able to see God in their midst when he shows up and that they too might be able to find the life that is truly life, his advice was, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Now, we can't be sure who these soldiers were. Uh, likely, they may have been Roman soldiers because Israel was occupied by, uh, by the Roman army at this point. They could have been soldiers of King Herod or King Philip. Uh, but what we do know is that Roman soldiers at that time uh, historically were known for the kinds of criminal practices that John is concerned with here, uh, extorting money, uh, making false accusations that get people to get them thrown into prison in order to get their way. And what we see John saying here is is that um, what John begins to identify is that the source of these kinds of behaviors among the soldiers was actually a lack of contentment in their own hearts. A lack of contentment, John says, is what leads soldiers to use their power and their position to extort money from others and to falsely accuse people in order to get what they want. And if we see these soldiers as examples, perhaps for the rest of us, in some ways we might even say that a lack of contentment is a large part of what leads to the economic disparities that we see, the unfair lending practices, the injustices to the poor and the less fortunate and to those who have less power in the world. In fact, the history of those with power taking advantage of those with less power for the sake of their own wants and their own desires and their own lifestyles and their own increasing power could be the overall context of much of world history and human conflict. Is it possible that one of the the primary problems with life in this world and with the brokenness of our human society could be boiled down to a simple lack of contentment with what we have? For us today, I want to briefly highlight three things about contentment that we can see in the Bible, and then if we have time, we'll wrap up with some practical ideas about how we too might begin to pursue a greater measure of simplicity in our lives. First, the number one takeaway for today is that contentment is a choice. You can choose contentment. In pursuing fruit that is in keeping with repentance, John's advice suggests to us that repentance has to do more with your attitude than with your feelings. Repentance means to to turn around or uh, alter course and, and move in a new direction. It involves our emotions and feelings for sure, but it is not itself a feeling. It, it is not like sadness or regret or remorse, although those feelings may be present. It has more to do with a willingness to make choices that begin to move your life into a new direction based on the reality of the new information that God has revealed. It produces fruit, John says, that is in keeping with or in line with the attitude of one's heart. An attitude then is actually a chosen response to our current experience in the world. And it's based more on what we believe to be true about ourselves and the world around us. 
Feelings are simply emotional states that occur in response to certain stimuli or experiences that we have, and while your attitude is more concerned with the goals and expectations you have for your life. It has more to do with your view of the world around you and whether the world owes you something more than you feel like you've been given, and it even impacts your own self-image in the world based on whether you think that the the world has treated you the way it should. Now, if we find ourselves moving through life in this world with an attitude of dissatisfaction and a lack of contentment with life as it is, or even with who we are today, sometimes without even realizing it, we can begin to project our feelings onto the things around us, which actually are what prompts us to be purchasing and consuming things more impulsively and emotionally and not based on anything that we actually need. You see, it's in this way that spending and consuming, especially in our uh, our plentiful Western culture, can become a kind of compulsive lifestyle in an attempt to create these positive or pleasurable feelings that we desire, that we associate with whatever products or experiences or or, or TV shows or movies or things that we think are going to give us that next hit or give us that next fix to make us feel better in the moment. It's often this attempt to temporarily diminish the unpleasant feelings of life in this world. Uh, that, that, like the most immediate example of, of dealing with these momentary unpleasant feelings is the feeling of hunger. Has anybody ever been hungry? Oh, come on, every hand should be up. You know, that's why they say you should never go grocery shopping while you're hungry. Right? Right? Hunger is a, is a pain, or it's an unpleasant feeling that we experience, or it's a desire for something that we genuinely need to survive, food, right? But when we allow that feeling to be what drives us, rather than our own attitude of contentment, we, we end up making impulse buys, and we leave the grocery store with a lot more things than we actually had on our list, But if you really think about it, isn't it true that we as human creatures live with many hungers in our lives? We hunger for things that we we need and that we desire, not only physically, but also psychologically and emotionally as well. And I'd like to suggest for us today that the challenge is to recognize that we can't always control our feelings, but we can choose our attitude which has a direct impact on our feelings and then the choices we make. And what John is saying to these soldiers is that contentment is not a feeling you have to go out and find. It's not out there in the world somewhere. It's an attitude in the heart that you can choose as your starting point for how you approach life in this world and how you approach relationships with other people and how you view where God is at work and what is God calling you to do. And as a result, it impacts your feelings, but it also guides and directs the way you experience your life. And so that leads us to our second takeaway. If contentment is a choice, then it is also a skill that we can learn. You have to practice being content. Let me say that one more time. You have to practice 
being content. The more you practice contentment, the greater your ability to actually be content in various circumstances will will become. Although John baptized people with water to show that they had repented in their hearts and were willing to move in this new direction and they had been forgiven for their past sins, his baptism, he, he claimed himself, gave them no power to actually pursue the life that is truly life. Instead, it was a preparation. It was a, a foreshadowing. It was a, it was a warning call to say, the one who is coming after me, who, who is greater than I, the one who comes will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with power will be the one who will guide you into all truth and the one who will give you the ability to actually choose contentment for your life and develop it as a skill that is modeled after the, the person and the character of God that he reveals in his son Jesus. Jesus, this true king, would would give the very presence of God through his spirit and like fire would would burn from within uh, all the, the useless chaff of the human heart that leads us after all of these other wants and desires and all these other gods that promise us happiness but only leave us dissatisfied and unhappy and wondering why life isn't working out the way that we want. The Apostle Paul's approach to life was based on the conviction that your life and my life has already been bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And he also understood that the basic work of salvation has already been accomplished, that there's nothing left that we have to do in order to earn God's love or to receive his forgiveness or to enter into the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And so what we begin to see is that through a biblical perspective on life in this world, we can no longer base our lives around buying and consuming or around endless work and acquisition as a way of trying to make it in this world and to find happiness and to arrive at this mysterious place of contentment that we're all longing for. It's rather who we are becoming in Christ through the power of His Spirit that that, that is decisive. It's not what we own or achieve. It's being and becoming as Christians that is now more important than any having or doing will ever achieve for us. And so our central approach as followers of Jesus in life should be a willingness to accept whatever may come from the hands of God and to receive the life we have as itself the very gift that God has given us. Which leads us to our third and final takeaway for today is that contentment is also a gift. Contentment is a gift. You have to receive the gift of contentment in your heart as a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is something that God will give you if you're willing to allow Him to do that work in you. Central to this whole process is asking God for help in prayer and seeking the discernment for life that only comes through the presence of His Spirit. Philippians 4, 12 and 13 says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in every in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And his answer is, I can do all this through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Now, what if I came to you and I said, I want to share with you that I have discovered the secret of contentment. How much would you pay? How much would you pay? What would you trade? What would you give up if you could have the secret to contentment? I mean, that's worth a lot of money, don't you think? It's worth a a lot of time and energy and effort. And yet right now in the Bible for centuries, we have seen that Paul has says in Christ, we have the secret of contentment. And yet we go after all of these other things thinking that somehow it's going to make the difference. And some of them are very good religious things that we go after and the busyness of church and all the things that we do to try and make ourselves look good or be acceptable to God or in one another's eyes when all the while the Bible tells us that the starting point is contentment, not the end game. Can I suggest that much of the dissatisfaction and disappointment that we all experience in this modern life comes from the insatiable logic of perpetual need, that somehow if we meet that need, if we, if we feed the need, that somehow we're going to find peace and contentment and happiness at the end of the rainbow. But do we understand that the the more is better philosophy, this attitude of our modern consumer culture makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to ever arrive at the point where you genuinely can say, I have had enough. What God has given me is enough. You talk to the wealthiest people in the world and you ask them, how much is too much? And their answer is always what? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. The illogic, illogic of insatiable need from our Christian point of view is what plays right into the such things that the Bible reveals as pride, as covetousness, of lust, of gluttony, and envy, and greed, and all the things that Bible tells us are the things that get us off track from experiencing the life that is truly life. And in the process, what we really discover is that many of us begin to experience a fundamental misunderstanding of our own identity in this world, of who we are and who God has created and designed us to be and what God's desire is for us to experience in this life. Because if you really think about it, to identify oneself only by the things that one is able to possess or to own and to consume is in effect to lack any sense of a true self at all. And really this is the point of Jesus' simple yet powerful questions that he asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 26 when he said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
In many ways, we can trace the connection between people's increasing sense of of lacking what they need to be happy in this modern world and a lack of a solid sense of of identity uh, to this restless, endless nature of a life of perpetual acquisition and consumption where the ultimate goal, we are told, is to create your own life and to divine your own self and to choose who you want to become. And yet the Bible encourages us in just an opposite way to view life itself as a gracious gift of our Creator God from which we can begin with an attitude of contentment and gratitude so that we learn how to love and be generous with all the things that God has given us. And it's in this that we are encouraged to express our gratitude in giving ourselves graciously away in love to God and in love to neighbor, which ultimately Jesus said is is what fulfills the very law of God. And we can begin to move in this new direction. We can begin to find greater simplicity this Christmas and in the weeks and the months ahead for for our church and, and for our family and maybe even our society if we recognize that contentment is not the destination. It's the starting point. And it's a choice that you can make. It's a skill that you can develop. And it's a gift that God wants to give you if you're willing to prayerfully receive it. I want to wrap up today with the words from 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, where Paul tells his protege Timothy, who's leading this church, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God doesn't want to spoil your enjoyment. God doesn't want you to not have joy and pleasure. And, and, and It's just the opposite. That's why God created the world. That's why he made it so amazing and, and why food tastes so good and why art is so beautiful and, and why all of these lovely, amazing things that God has given us are for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Brothers and sisters, the life that is truly life is not a someday, maybe, when you get to heaven in the by and by. This is the invitation of God for you to experience today in anticipation that that is the eternal experience that God invites us that will never end through life in his son. And as we enter into a simpler Christmas this year, it all begins with the choice to be content with who you are and with what you have. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this family service and this time to celebrate Christmas together. We thank you for the joy of the season. And we ask that you would give us the the freedom and the ability to choose contentment in our lives. Help us to understand the, the skill of being able to develop contentment as a choice. And give us the wisdom to seek you in the power of your spirit to transform our hearts of need into hearts of contentment so that we can become people of generosity 
and love in the season ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.